hold on a second. I got I got a little something queued up for the for the episode. So if you guys, oh boy, I can just if I can just get a little, <laughs> if I get complete silence from everybody, and then you know, and then I'll and then I'll do the thing, and we can begin our episode. Go for All it. Right. All right. People keep asking if I'm back, and I haven't really had an answer. But now, yeah. I'm thinking I'm back. All right. Welcome to Please Be Excited, episode 19. (laughs) (laughs) I am your host, John. Today, I got Chad, brother Chad, brother Jimbo. Yeah. Don't do it. (laughs) My lovely partner. No, no, no. Brother Grace. (laughs) No. I have Grace. Grace is here. I thought you were going to follow it and say Sister Grace. No. no. Good Lord. Oh, my God. Okay. Um, how's, everybody, how, how's everybody doing? Uh, it's, it's very hot here. It is very hot. There's yeah. no air, air conditioning. Yeah. And uh, it's Florida in July, so it's pretty yeah. fun. I think we have the AC on, and I am sweating. I don't know. If... Yeah, we're both sweating. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, yeah. Jack is barking. Our dog is sitting at the front door barking, as he does for two hours every single night. Mm-hmm. Waiting for mom. He's waiting. Yeah. He waits for mom. He sits there and barks. Uh, waiting for Godot. Oh, yeah. Um... <laughs> uh, <laughs> We haven't recorded for it's been over almost a month. No, it might it might have been a month since we recorded. Time is uh, strange. Yeah, time is a flat circle. Flat circle. <laughs> In the uh, uh, the the year that never was. Yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I had to do a cross country trip flight to Oregon and then Grace and I had to do a road trip from Oregon to Florida and that's kind of why the podcast got put on hold Mm -hmm. so that's the explanation for the listeners anyways um did you guys just want to get straight into talking about stuff because I was not planning on covering news this episode there's not going to be a game this episode um that might resume next week i'm not sure but uh you guys ready to just jump into it yeah sure okay um all right who wants who wants to start with uh whatever movie first their movie first i didn't know if jimbo had a movie i know chad has some movies uh, yep. i don't have anything just for me I watched a movie with Chad, but that's that's it. All right, Jimbo, talk about Mandy. Oh, okay. you guys watched okay. Yes, we watched Mandy. Give together. us give us your summary and your reaction to Mandy. Yeah, okay. talk about Mandy. Is short for Mandalorian. No, <laughs> that is not short Mandy. for Mandalorian. It could, it could be. We could talk about Mandalorian too. But that's I do. another episode. Mandy is not to be confused with Mando or Mandalorian. Okay. okay. Well, it's season two. Season two, they could change it. Yeah. It could change. All right. Talk about right. Mandy. Mandy is a Nicolas Cage starring Art 
horror film. Mandy is the the wife of Nicolas Cage's character, and the two of them kind of live off out in the woods uh, on their own in this kind of nice house that they have together. You don't really get much backstory into who they are, but you can. It feels like they've been together for a while, and probably like gone through some some shit together, like had a rough life. And just one day, whenever Mandy is kind of like walking around the woods where they live, and then this uh, this van kind of slowly creeps by her, and this guy who's kind of sitting in the passenger seat in the van just kind of like locks eyes with her and becomes really obsessed with her. And it turns out that this guy that she passed is the leader of a cult. So he's a, he's a cult leader and he wants to kidnap Mandy and kind of like force her to be part of their cult and kind of join him. And it has these really weird kind of like hippie vibes to the cult and they're doing these crazy drugs and it, there's a lot of, like implied kind of sexual stuff too. Well, I mean, it's not always implied. Some of it's just kind of like right out there in your face. All right, hold on. Before you finish okay. the whole plot, oh, okay. Jonathan, <laughs> do you want to keep some of like what happens? Like, I won't finish the whole plot. I'm just saying because Jonathan hasn't seen it. I don't know if he cares about. Like, what? Oh, I thought we had all seen. No, it. no, no. I haven't. No, I haven't seen Mandy. Okay, but you can... I'll, all right. I'll abbreviate it then. Okay, right. you don't. Okay, so Mandy is taken at one point, and then Nicolas Cage gets into it with this cult, and there's a lot of crazy stuff that happens with, like, motorcycle gangs and chainsaw fights. Yeah. It's, it's just a wild, wild flick. Yeah. All right. Cool. That's um, the Beyond the Black Rainbow director, right? Yeah, what's his name? Is it like Panos Cosmatos? Is that his name? Yeah. And a great name. Yeah, isn't he <laughs> the son of some um, like famous filmmaker from like the 70s or something like that? Yeah. Panos Cosmatos. Yeah, Thanos. Uh, uh, George P. Cosmatos. It was somebody who like worked on something famous, right? Let's see. Uh, did he direct this? Oh, he directed Tombstone. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, and uh, and then he himself directed that. Is it Beyond the Black Rainbow? Yeah, Beyond the Black Rainbow. Which I have not seen. But uh, I've yeah. heard uh, interesting things about. Yep. But yeah, it's very uh, psychedelic, very intense. Uh, yeah, it reminds me. Well, there's a lot of different influences and vibes, but it does feel very like Nicholas Reffin. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, with a bunch of other yeah. things like you know, sort of psychedelic 70s type horror stuff like Suspiria or, yeah. Um, Jimbo, what would your uh, your rating of this movie be? What is the scale? Uh, about one to five hot pockets? I don't know. All right, I'll give it, <laughs> I'll give it four hot pockets. Great. I think it's a solid four. Great. But yeah, so how to talk about this movie. There are things I want to talk about. <laughs> yeah, like, go ahead and talk about anything. It's fine with me. Yeah. I, I okay. feel like you guys should get into it for the listeners. Hmm. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> I mean, we don't have to get into like specific plot things, but yeah, it is kind of like like the things that I really like about it is the dude really knows like what it is and what he's doing, like in the sense that it feels very like I think it's set in the seventies or the early eighties or something. They have like a they have like a Nixon speech on the radio in the car to like set the the time period. And then there's a lot of like the hippie stuff Jimbo was saying. And then um like heavy metal uh like bands like people are like it shows them at a club when they met and it seemed kind of like a punk or a metal bar and then um like Nicolas Cage is like I think he has some kind of a shirt that's like a, a band shirt of like a metal band and uh and then the the villain like he was sort of a wannabe rock star who failed and it has a very like like they were attempting to be the next Led Zeppelin and it has kind of those like spinal tap vibes of like like the medieval music like he plays his own record of his own <laughs> of his own band that failed to like try to to try to impress Mandy at one point that's like you can tell that that's kind of the whole like shtick that he uses whenever he's bringing people into the cults and that's yeah. that's like his kind of seduction that he does as he plays his own record <laughs> while this person has been forced into like taking psychedelics. Yeah. Like they're, yeah. they're injected or something. Um, so it's not voluntary. They're kidnapped. They take psychedelics and then they have to listen to this guy play his own music. <laughs> and then he tries to like sleep with the person at the end of, at the end of it. Yeah. So it's got a lot of those vibes of the seventies stuff of uh yeah like spinal tap led zeppelin and then the mandy she's like she's a an artist she's like an illustrator and she does like sick frank rosetta pinup type things and uh and like she's reading these uh like fantasy books that feel like you know tolkien ripoff from that era like conan it's kind of like you know all those people were doing fucking weed and mushrooms and lsd during that time <laughs> And it's like all the vibes of those different things in that era kind of mixed together in this really like, you know, crazy mixture compound. Um, and it's it's just like sensory overload. Like the whole movie is so magical and like beautiful. Like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know what I'll say right now, but I don't know if you have any questions or anything. Um, not, well, okay, so Mandy gets taken by this cult leader. Yeah. I've I've seen a little bit about it from, like, uh, I think seeing reviews and then trailers and just hearing about it. Yeah. Um, so Mandy gets taken and then Nicolas Cage goes on, like, a, it's like a revenge movie of him trying to get her back. Uh, well, I can, if you don't care about spoilers, I can tell you. Go ahead, yeah. So, she gets kidnapped, and then she is, like, she has a very, she's, like, an, sort of an introverted person. She has this, like, mystique about her. Um, I think that's why the cult leader is drawn to her. And, uh, but then, so whenever the dude tries to, like, 
um, recruit her into the cult and like sleep with her and you know they're like manipulating her and everything she like doesn't give in to any of it and then <laughs> there's I don't know how, how much detail to get into with this, the like sexual stuff but he like he basically like strips down and he's like opening up his arms and he's like waiting for her to worship him and like start you know doing stuff for him and she just like she asks if that's his music that he's playing and then she just starts laughing in his face like <laughs> she's not going for any of it you know she's like super in love with Nicolas Cage they're you know really close um you know deeply bonded and they really seem like genuinely good people and, and yeah she seems like a really like like uh a strong like forceful but good um this person and they, they have a lot of like like subtle and slow setup in the beginning to like characterize her and um Nicolas Cage like there are a couple of different scenes where um I don't know if she like takes drugs before the scenes are kind of trippy um but she like will be walking through the nature around their like cabin house out in the middle of nowhere and she finds I think she like hears something and then she'll walk, she walks out and she finds a, um, I think it's a stillborn deer, like a deer who died at birth. And then she's just very like, I don't, not like devastated or emotionally like distraught about it, but she's very like in touch with nature and her emotions and like empathy and, you know, other animals, just very like, you know, like a force for good. But like I said, she's more of like an introverted, like peaceful, not like an extroverted, bubbly, whatever. And then um, like there's another scene. There's a couple scenes of them just like laying in bed at night talking about stuff. And it really shows their like intimacy. That's what I kind of like about the, the representation of these characters in this couple is that it feels very real and grounded in the beginning, even though it's like very psychedelic and artful is that you like super fast you get invested in these people um with just these like short interaction scenes and yeah there's this other one where she's just telling the story from her childhood about how um her father like was trying to get rid of these birds who were like pests i don't know if they were on a farm or something the birds were causing trouble and uh, i guess her dad seems like a like a violent like mean person and so he like took the birds and like uh put them out on the pavement and like the playground or something and she and then he like smashed them with a hammer in front of all these kids but he also made like each kid yeah 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 so it was another like just scene of it felt like a very real scene of like a couple who's known each other for a long time but there's like a deep um like a story from childhood that maybe they haven't told each other and then she's just remembering it because of maybe this deer that she found and then you know she's uh telling him this story and it's just another thing that i liked that was like showing more characterization of the type of person that she is and what she's been through and maybe the idea that she's been through more things like that in her life like her life hasn't been easy Maybe that's why they're out living in the middle of nowhere 
like by themselves. Nicolas Cage is just like a logger, just super blue collar dude. Like, and he seems pretty like, uh, like terse. Like he's not very um, social with his coworkers and stuff. Like, it shows them flying back on a helicopter from their uh, logging job. I guess it's out in the wilderness. And then his uh, his coworker offers him like a beer, and he kind of. He's like has a sort of thousand yard stare off into the distance and he's just not interacting with him. And he just like turned down, turns down the drink and doesn't really interact. And that's another like thing I like about his characterization is that it seems like he really had sort of a deep understanding of this guy and maybe a backstory that he had worked out. But like Jimbo said, they don't get into that much detail like about what he's been through. And I mean, <laughs> So to go back to where I started this, like about spoilers and what happens is that whenever she rejects the cult leader, he like flips out and like gets super unstable and insecure. Um, like it, this is all some big like like character he's trying to be or he came from this deeply insecure place. And he's just been, sh like, shamed in front of all of his followers. Too. Yeah, so yeah. he's, like, furious about that. And so, anyway, he, like, has this crazy breakdown, and then he kind of flips where he gets conviction again. And he decides to burn her alive mm. uh, in front of Nicolas Cage. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, that's a super powerful scene of just, uh, yeah, his reaction to it. He's, like, chained up with, like, barbed wire and shit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, he's just watching that, and it holds on his face for a really long time. And then they leave him um, just strung up. But he gets out of that. And uh, so and then he goes on a revenge mission just to kill everyone. Um, yeah, so that's, the, like, the motivation. And the yeah. rest of the movie is it becomes, like, a revenge movie. Yeah, and he's like has this crazy like power of will and determination and like uh, capacity for violence and pain and tolerance. Pain tolerance <laughs> and so that's the kind of thing where maybe you get the sense he's been through a lot. Maybe he was a soldier. Who knows? They never say. Um, but yeah, so that's the rest of the movie is just him. <laughs> Sort of going yeah. in like his, uh, what's the idea? Like the heart of darkness, like just journeying, you know, sort of try having to almost get on the level of these people and become like more super monstrous to take them out. And uh, yeah, there's a lot more like, uh, I know I'm just talking forever, but I love this movie. <laughs> And I just want to talk about it. So, like, with the sort of mystical, like, Led Zeppelin, like, you know, folklore, magic, nature, shit, um, the cult, they, like, they summon these biker demons uh, with, they, like, go out into the middle of the woods at night. And one of these dudes pulls out, like, it looks like an ocarina that is made out of like a meteorite or something. <laughs> and he plays it like this super spooky, like little melody. And then it summons these like monster biker demons who they use as like their uh, muscle to like kidnap and kill people or whatever. And uh, the whole movie kind of plays with this line of like, 
is magical shit actually going on or is it sort of like more based in reality and then like everybody's fucked up on LSD and mushrooms and it kind of rides that line and I think it does it is it kind of explicitly magical in, in some places like like are they, are they like actually demons or, or they're just like really warps the the biker gang reminds me of um like reavers yeah yeah, from yeah. that's Firefly a good and yeah. serenity like men that have been driven to madness and they become kind of demonic but yeah, yeah they it I like how ambiguous the movie is in a lot of those cases where it's it's not like super explicit if this is magic yeah. or fantastical or it's just kind of like our lack of understanding is what leads us to kind of make it seem that way. Yeah. But maybe this is like actually like a real kind of human thing going on. Uh, but it, yeah, it plays with that line a lot in the movie. Yeah. And, uh, so like I said, it's, you know, super steeped in like the sort of uh, magical like fantasy of the time, like sword and sorcery, all that kind of stuff, like the books that she's reading, the art that she makes, the music. And it sort of like becomes one of those stories and, you know, like all the magic and sorcery and evil shit. Um, so that's why I say in the beginning, like it's a very self-aware thing of, like even in the the living room, they'll have stuff on TV that's like uh, like cheesy cartoons or weird little ads from the time that are like like weird creature monsters, and it they feel very cheesy, but at the same time, it's like the director or the writer, whoever uses those influences and those vibes, um, but at a very like masterful level to like elevate the whole thing to like this crazy, beautiful, you know, horror art, whatever movie. And uh, I forgot what else I was going to say, but we've probably talked about this enough for now. <laughs> well, I would just like the thing that makes it seem even more kind of like otherworldly is the cinematography. And that's yeah, amazing yeah. in this, like the, what they do with li- lighting in here is awesome because they'll have a lot of, really crazy like contrasts where there'll be like all these shadows out in the woods so like the the woods in the forest area gives so much to the movie with atmosphere and you'll have just darkness and then you'll have like creepy red lighting like seeping through the trees kind of in the dark um and yeah that makes it like stand out kind of even more uh and then they'll do a lot with um sound in the movie as well that's like playing with your mind just like like whispering in your head questioning what you're really seeing what you're really hearing and it all kind of adds into like the psychedelic feeling of the movie but yeah what they do with the lighting and the sound in the movie is uh like really awesome yeah cool um is that streaming on anything or you got you have the blu-ray don't you I do, but I think it's on Prime. You might have to pay for it. I'm not sure. Okay. But yeah. All right. Um, did you want to go to your movie, your other movie, or or I can? Uh, I feel like I talked enough for now. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, honey, did you want to pick one of these? No, I don't want to. You don't want to pick anything. Okay, I'll talk about one of my individual movies because I watched. 
I yep. very quickly I can talk okay. about it. Scoop. Um Scoop. Or, no, not Scoob. Not Scoob. Um I was trying to catch up on some stuff because uh I watched two movies like on the way on my flights from Florida to Oregon. Mm-hmm. So I'm just gonna start with the first one I watched, which was um I watched the Eurovision Song Contest. Uh, oh, right. The Story of Fire Saga. Right. I don't know if Jimbo has any idea what that is. Jimbo went upstairs for a second. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a Will Ferrell, Rachel McAdams movie on Netflix. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I was just wanting something dumb. Yeah, uh, and that's the mood I was in, and it has Dan Stevens in it. I like Dan Stevens. Yeah. Um, but it's about these two uh, musicians, Will Ferrell and Rachel McAdams, who are from Iceland, and I forget what small little town they live in, but. Um, Anyways, there are these, like, dreamers, you know, that never really made it, and hmm. they're they're talented, but they just can't get out of this small town, yeah. and um, they, the Iceland um, people that choose the, the artist to perform in the Eurovision Song Contest, um, decide they like they think they have a sure thing with another singer um Mm -hmm. because they have to enter a certain amount of people who go through i guess um like a qualifying round and then i guess the country whichever country is like putting somebody forward finally picks their their contestant for the eurovision song contest Mm um so oh what's the uh, Demi Lovato. I think it's Demi Lovato is the one who is like the sure thing. She plays an Icelandic character um, mm-hmm. and she has a great song and a great voice and presence and everything, stage presence. And uh, they they think they have a sure thing with her. So during their like big meeting, their board meeting where they're just picking the other contest contestants, they just decide, whatever, we'll pick at random from a stack of cds in this box and like that's going to be the last contestant because it doesn't matter who we put forward she's going to win right um and it ends up being will ferrell and rachel mcadams uh band <laughs> his pick. Mm-hmm. and yeah so then so they get picked and go forward to um to compete in this uh in the like preliminary round um i thought you were looking i was listening (laughs) okay they go no they go forward to to compete in the preliminary round and this was i think it's like 30 minutes in just i'm gonna get into spoilers because i'm assuming you guys have no interest in this movie Uh, i mean i don't care about spoilers so okay (laughs) But this is like 30 minutes in, and 
I was kind of getting tired of it. I should mention um, Will Ferrell's character. His mom died, I think, either in childbirth or when he was younger. I can't remember. And Mm. then his dad is Pierce Brosnan. And um, there's like a, I think somebody pointed out that there's like a 15 year age difference between Will Ferrell and Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, right. Um, anyways, um, so yeah, so that's another part of the story is like he has this, uh, relationship with his dad. That's, you know, his dad like never really showed him love and, um, didn't encourage him or believe in him or anything like that. Anyways. Is this like a walk hard kind of vibe to the movie? No, that's I'm gonna get into the vibes and in, in a couple okay. of minutes because it's a strange movie. Um, so yeah, so they so they get to this preliminary round, and you, the movie has a really it has a weird um, tone to it because. It, it could be played totally as parody, but mm-hmm. it doesn't. It, like, it has, like, sincere, dramatic, and these, like, not, like, heartfelt moments throughout the movie, mm-hmm. which is just a weird thing because it goes back and forth between, like, the outright comedy parody stuff and then that, and it's just a weird mix. Yeah. Um but yeah, this is like 30 minutes in and I was kind of getting bored of it. And, <laughs> and um, so they have this preliminary round performance. And because of the tone, what I was saying of these like heartfelt moments and everything, you think, oh, maybe it's going to be a good performance and they're going to, you know, surprise everybody. It's going to be like the underdog story. No, everything goes wrong that could go wrong. <laughs> And they totally fuck up and they're like eliminated from the contest. And Mm -hmm. there's this uh, big celebration with the winners who passed on to the next round. um, That's like out on a yacht or a big uh, barge ship thing. um, And they're having a big party out on the ocean. Mm -hmm. And then there's like this, uh, there's like this good, scene between will ferrell and rachel mcadams it's nighttime they're like out on the pier or something over by the water and you can see the ship in the background and um and they have this like heartfelt scene together talking about you know what they want and everything because there's like a romantic uh relationship between them that hasn't really blossomed yet like she has feelings for him but he he has feelings for her but he wants he's like selfish you know he wants to have a music career and be a star more than he yeah. um wants to be with her and he, you get the sense that he's like scared to um make a move or have a kind of relationship with her yeah um anyways so this whole scene happens and they've been eliminated from the competition. And I was like, I'm kind of out of this. Not really feeling it. And then out of nowhere, <laughs> the ship in the background with all the 
contestants blows up right and everybody that passed on to the next round dies yeah so they're their country's only contestant to go into the Eurovision Song Contest. Right. So that's another plot element that's like really a thread that's really weird uh, going along with the tone because it has, it's like, has the parody problem and then, um, but then there's like sincere heartfelt stuff and then you throw in there's like a murder mystery thing in the movie it's really weird and that that element isn't really developed a lot it just kind of pops out i think in like three different parts probably in like three act structure yeah <laughs> but it it's just really strange because like you could go all the way and it, it feels awkward watching it because it's just really it's just really weird having uh some actors who i don't i think rachel mcadams is canadian and will ferrell is american but it feels weird having them play icelandic characters and do these like kind of ridiculous accents and then Mm -hmm. like spoofing or like uh it's it walks that line of like making fun of a culture and then like celebrating it yeah and i i feel like you know okay if this is a movie if this were a movie with like icelandic actors and a director and it was you know one way or the other parody or heartfelt like okay i could kind of I could feel better about it, but it just feels right. like it's taking a culture and making fun of it. Mm-hmm. But then yet, like I said, with the tone, it goes all over the place and has these sincere moments, which is just really weird. Um, hmm. And then, yeah, Dan Stevens, <laughs> Dan Stevens is like a standout in this movie. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the pictures or clips of him. From... Yeah, I think so. Uh, I haven't seen that. <laughs> yes. Um, he plays the Russian contestant. And he's like a super hyper-sexualized machismo kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has like a he has like huge uh I don't know what to call it, just his hair is just like a huge mane and hair sprayed totally mm-hmm whatever and he and he like has a i think he has like a song about lion stuff but it's like a euphemism for sex stuff and sure sure. um and he has like a whip that he cracks throughout his performance and he's like tearing his shirt off and all that right um he's he's great and he's really funny and then uh i'll I'll get it i'm just gonna spoil more stuff um there he's the russian uh, contestant and there's the stuff throughout the movie of like a, re- a relationship kind of thing with him and Rachel McAdams but um, you can't really tell if it's you know he's trying to sabotage them or if he's like actually in love with her mm. um, and it has it does that with both of their characters and introducing like singers from other countries and then you can't tell if they're sabotaging them or not Right. And 
it turns out that they're like not sabotaging them um oh. but they're not in love with them and it's it's just it's a weird uh plot thread like i don't really know why it was in there but then the thing with dan stevens dan stevens's character is that he's the russian singer and he ends up being a closeted homosexual guy right like he represses his sexuality because of russia mm. and how homophobic they are uh, right. anyways so i thought that was like it like it, it is like a nice scene at the end where he's talking to this other character and she knows that he's gay and he like finally gets to have that moment and mm. it's a good scene but just like i've said the tone this movie's weird tonally so it it doesn't like play i don't know it doesn't play quite right because you can see it in you can see this movie as three totally different movies like a sincere inspiring you know movie music movie you know with like original songs and drama and they're competing or it could be outright parody comedy um or you could go the murder mystery route and like somebody's killing off the singers in this competition yeah and it mixes all three of them and it's really it's a weird uh end result and not i mean it's not very good i was in the mood for something not very good yeah with some comedy um and it has some of that if you don't like will ferrell movies don't watch this because it it has him doing his will ferrell shtick and everything that he does Mm. Um, he's just like really loud yeah yep where he's just really loud and yells things and repeats stuff and that's the joke and that's the humor Uh, (laughs) but if you like Rachel McAdams or Dan Stevens then go for it Um, yeah that's all I have to say on that it's on Netflix if you feel like watching it There, I mean there are uh, I wanted to say there are a few original songs that are like super catchy and were stuck in my head for two three weeks after They've just been stuck in my head since I watched mm-hmm. this movie. So there's some good songs in it. If I'm in that really super specific mood yes. that you talked about, then I'll give it I'll give it a try. Alright. <laughs> Alright. Yeah. Uh who wants to go next? All right, hold, hold up, hold up. How many hot pockets does it get? Uh out of five? Out yeah. of five. Uh no, I'll give it I'll give it two and a half bites. There we go. All right. What flavor? Uh, what flavor? Ooh. You know, I feel like this is a two and a half, uh, two and a half pepperoni. The, like, sliced pepperoni or the chunk pepperoni? Ooh, sliced. Okay. Two and a half sliced pepperoni. Okay. Not bad. Not bad. Who's, who wants to go next with their movie? Uh, Jimbo, do you have anything else? Grace, did you want to talk about Scoob? You want to get into Scoob? Not really. I was in such <laughs> a bad. <laughs> I was in such a bad mood after watching that. It did like. Let's go. Let's get into why. It, did, it was so irresponsible. 
in terms of representing <laughs> Scooby-Doo universe. Yeah. Mm. So it was just, it put me in a really bad mood. <laughs> That's all I'm saying yeah. about it. All right, we're going to talk about Scoob. Oh. Uh, uh, so... I don't know why. So, why, why was it a bad representation of the Scooby-Doo cinematic universe? It just, it was like if somebody was shown a picture of the characters mm. with like the names of each character written back, right? like on the back of the photo, and they're just like, they live in Coolsville or whatever, <laughs> yeah. right? They run Mystery Inc. <laughs> That's all the information they have. Yeah. In terms, like, if that's what you're going for, they did that well. They mm-hmm. named all of the characters correctly <laughs> last I checked. But they didn't have anything, like, it didn't speak well to who they were or what they did. They just went with whatever was, like, most super fantastical you know like making Mm. everything like supernatural and like actual ghostly things instead of showing you that the bad guys are people that you know pretending to be someone that they're not yeah and it just does (laughs) it just does everything that scooby-doo like as a franchise stood for and represented for me. I don't know how you feel <laughs> yeah. about that. But no, I I agree. Like it doesn't first off, this is part of the Hanna Barbera universe. That's the company that made these cartoons originally, I guess. The Scooby and what Jetsons, um Flintstones. Flintstones, yeah, and some other cartoons. Quick draw, McGraw. So, <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not. Is that the, the racing one? Um, anyways, so instead of making a Scooby Doo mystery movie, they are making a Hanna Barbera Universe Origins movie. <laughs> okay, that's what it is. Where they they introduce. Sure. Characters from other Hanna Barbera properties and four. So, so this is this is the this is the Iron Man of the uh, Avengers. This yeah. no, this is the this is the Justice League. Of, yeah, it's, oh. it just it skips straight to everybody being there. It's, yeah, um, it's yeah. It starts. I don't remember exactly how much I got into it on the last episode, but. It starts with Scooby and Shaggy, like younger kids versions of them. And then uh, it's, you know, Halloween night and they run into uh, Freddie, Velma and Daphne. And anyways, it's what? Freddie. Is it is it Fred or Freddie? I think it's Fred. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Fred. Um, well, he's a kid, so maybe he was Freddy then. <laughs> Anyways, grown. Yeah, when well, he's grown, he's Fred. Yeah. That's canon now. Okay. Um, <laughs> anyways, yeah. So it starts with a little, a cute little scene of them going into a haunted house, and they bust this guy who is pretending to be a ghost. It's never 
established why he's pretending to be a ghost. He's just like scaring the shit out of anybody who walks into his house with insane, intricately designed uh, special effects and ghost stuffs and, and just a, like a house that's abandoned that doesn't, you know, it's not inviting people to come in and be scared. It's not like a right. uh, haunted house kind of thing. There's no reason for anybody to go in. So why is this guy set all this shit up? And then they and then they discover out of nowhere, hey, we just caught this guy being being weird in his house. Essentially, <laughs> is his is his crime. It's his own home. Yeah, it's his own <laughs> home. You broke into his yeah, home. Yeah, the kids broke into. It. Um, and then and then. <laughs> And then they like peel back a curtain and he has a room full of like VCRs and TVs and electronic stuff. And he's like, and they're, and they're like, Hey, guess we busted this guy. And it's like, how do you not know that's just his shit that he bought over the years? It's like, Mm. I think we have boxes of stuff in our utility room and, random shit like i keep the boxes for electronics a lot of the time and yeah it's... i think they should have arrested the kids yeah i know <laughs> they should have but but anyways like this is the first 10 15 minutes of the movie and i was just like oh this i thought putting on the movie i thought this is going to be the whole movie that you know they're going to meet they're going to be kids they're going to solve cases that's the whole point of this thing and then it skips ahead like 10 years and it's and it has a montage and the montage is what you would expect of Scooby-Doo. It's them busting people, exposing their, you know, the disguises. And it's a quick little montage of them like catching people pretending to be ghosts and monsters and stuff. And then it jumps ahead into this weird story that forces in Hanna-Barbera characters and mm. Simon Cowell for whatever reason. Simon Cowell for whatever reason. <laughs> Why was he there? <laughs> I don't I don't know. They were like asking him for money? Yeah. For, for I, their uh, mystery yeah, it felt like Why would he give them money? It's not like yeah. it's a talent or anything. It I was a know. business. It it did feel like a Mark Cuban replacement. Thing. Well, it felt like they were doing like yeah. Shrek did with the karaoke, the I far just... far away idol. Honey, I don't remember oh. any. Shrek. Anyways, they it's... wish that they did what Shrek did. They were trying to. Yeah. They failed, which is saying something considering Shrek. You know. Yeah, but but another shot, thing. Shots fired at Shrek. Yeah. Just, uh, just a little salty towards the Shrek's cinematic universe. Okay. <laughs> just a little bit of another, that. yeah, another another thing that's weird is they establish pretty early on who the villain of the movie is. Like, you know, like I said with the montage thing, there and the. Grace got into talking about them like exposing people who are in disguises and it's not all supernatural, whatever. That's that's what I think of as Scooby-Doo is like a mystery and you're figuring out who the bad person is and there's usually some monster or supernatural 
thing, yeah. but it's not real. It's somebody pretending. Yeah. Um. And this just like before the main plot of the story even gets going, they like establish the villain, and you know you have you have no idea why he wants to do anything. He's just like evil. Yeah. Um. And that's another thing with the movie is it it does a really bad job of. Uh, I might have I I think I said this with Perry Mason maybe it's like, and it's something I think of with you know like Knives Out and other mystery good mystery stuff is they give you the pieces to the puzzle but you just can't see how it all fits together basically, mm-hmm. and they don't do that. <laughs> They give you, they give you piece after piece, like piece by piece, of just throwing new shit at you, new information that, yeah. like throws out what came before, or contradicts. It just it doesn't matter. They're just yeah, throwing random crap, like in no real order essentially. And, anyways. I don't know if you have more thoughts on Scoob. I have no thoughts. Okay. (laughs) All right. Period and sentence. Okay, that's the end of Scoob. Um, That's on HBO Max if you want to go watch it. Or if you want to cancel your subscription (laughs) so you never have to see it. Yeah. Um, Okay, Chad, did you, you want to get into talking about your second movie? Yeah, but I have some thoughts on, on the Scooby-Doo All right, do you have questions? Franchise. Do you have anything about Scoob? Yeah, so I'm just thinking about this whole, the origins of this franchise. And like, <laughs> what, like, okay, so in the very beginning, the old cartoons, there was no actual supernatural stuff. Every single time it was a person, like, you know, pretending, right? Yeah. And so yeah. maybe it was like, like, that was the idea. It almost makes me think of, like, uh, the person who was making it was trying to make, like, was, like, a more skeptic-type person who was trying to, like, teach kids to use their brains to, like, you know... Yes. Maybe they're a little, uh, you know, I don't know, an- anti-religious or anti-supernatural. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, use your brains you know the world is the real world you know right all that shit but then the the waters were muddied when uh, they made the one with all the monster kids mm-hmm. oh yeah the movie and then the the like werewolf caribbean island one That's yeah. so it's like, like full gremlin guys <laughs> yeah so like the original intent of this franchise kind of got messed up along the way and so now the people who are making the stuff are like they don't get it because they've seen the versions with actual like ghosts and stuff yeah so maybe they, they need to get back to the original formula they need to you get know? back to the roots of scooby-doo yeah yeah, yeah back to that anti-religion <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Like, be skeptical. Don't. Generation of Scooby Doo that questions the establishment in every episode. That's what I'm saying. 
So anyway. Yeah, you're right. It, yeah. It's what it used to feel like and doesn't have yeah. any of that. Exactly. It's, anyways. They could find, they could unmask the, the villain at the end of one and it's like a cop and then they realize hey. the cop's the bad guy. Whoa. Yeah. There you go. Topical. Topical. Um, So, yeah, the other thing I watched was Crawl, which uh, is on Prime. If you have Amazon Prime, it's free. And that's a good thing because it's not the best thing ever, but it's, you know, somewhat enjoyable. And uh, so no one else has seen this? No. Explain Crawl, though. Crawl? is a bit of a thriller it's never very scary that's why i didn't say horror because it's just sort of like uh i think jonathan you, you maybe thought it was a disaster movie and it's got some of those vibes of like nothing is ever very scary it's just kind of a procession of like you know bad things happening and you're just watching it unfold and uh, you're like, oh, what's going to happen next? How are they going to get out of this pickle? And, uh, what's the pickle, though? Well, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. No, the reason I thought it was a disaster movie was, like, is it... I thought it was because of, like, a hurricane or something that happens and that. Yeah, yeah. So it's set in Florida. The main character is this girl who's, like... I don't know if she's in high school or college, but um, she's, like, a swimmer. And uh, and then it takes place, yeah, like a hurricane is about to come, like a Category 5 hurricane is about to hit Florida. And um, it, it wasn't super clear on why everybody was still there, but they were, like the main family um, hadn't evacuated for some reason. I don't know. They don't really get into that much detail. Uh, I guess she needed to go to her swim meet because um, she was a very dedicated uh, swimmer. But that they didn't really flesh that, that out or make it work too well. Like, oh, she's very driven. And so she had to stay to do her swim meet. Um, but anyway, so she is still there and the storm's coming and then uh, she's talking to her sister on the phone and then she finds out that her dad uh, still hasn't evacuated and then she, so she's but then nobody can reach him on the phone and so she goes to his house to try and see what's up why they can't reach him and uh, it turns out the dad was like passed out in like the like the crawl space under the house because there are no basements in Florida. So it's like it's like a, a house that's a little bit raised up because it's right on the edge of like a lake or something. So it has like a small crawl space underneath it instead of like a basement. Anyway, he went down there to fix something. He ran into an alligator and the alligator apparently like bit him real good and he hit his head on <laughs> he hit his head on something. But I guess he like was able to get into a spot behind some pipes that the alligator couldn't reach, and so um, they didn't eat him. 
And so the daughter goes, uh, she's searching for him. She's all worried. And she goes down into the crawl space because she finds him. But then the gator comes back and like with some super strength busts through the wooden stairs that let her get out of the basement thing. And so her and her dad are stuck under the crawl space with the storm coming. And so um, like they can't get out and then the water is rising because the hurricane's coming in. It's category five. They can't get out of the thing. And so, yeah, they're trying to find a way out and not get killed by the alligator. But then here's the thing. It kind of goes off the rails because it starts out with a very simple concept of like like this is a kind of a good setup but then it just goes stupid and there's like another alligator shows up and then later another one and another one and then it's like like 20 or like living in this nearby lake and uh whenever the water gets high enough and then people go like outside of the house they're like swarmed by like a dozen alligators and so it was this very, like, originally sort of man versus animal, whatever, very simple. And then it somehow turns into, like, an army of alligators <laughs> versus, like, three or four people. So, yeah, it just kind of, it, had, it like, set up these stakes uh, in, like, a game of, like, they're trying to outwit this, these, the, this, the Gata, the one, the one or two. And then, it, yeah, it just turns into... It like changes up the sort of the stakes that they've set up, you know, to where it it doesn't feel like anything anyone does matters, or like something they a smart idea they have, you know, and they'll maybe succeed at it, but then like three more gators show up and like ruin their progress, you know what I mean? So it's it kind of fucks with the whole like satisfying like one upping the monster getting the best. Mm. surviving you know what i mean yeah and uh and then like they'll have people come in to try and rescue them and then so it's like all the potential side characters they set up like they're these looters um these like white trash looters who uh they're trying to rob this convenience store with an atm that's like across the street and it's like, oh, okay, there are these interesting, weird, like morally gray characters show up. And now they're going to be side characters who are going to interact with and maybe save, like help team up with the main characters. And nope, they just get killed by alligators while they're still robbing the convenience store, all of them. And they don't interact with the main characters at all. And oh, so it's like these setups. Pointless. Yeah, it always feels like pointless and unsatisfying. And then. Uh, there's like a friend of the family who's one of the like uh, police or rescue people is like worried and then shows up at the house and then you're like oh man they're finally gonna get another you know ally or this character is gonna come in and get developed or something's gonna happen and then nope both of the rescuers get killed by the alligators so it's all this like building something building something and then just like nope creators kill them now the, the girl and the dad are having to figure out what to do on their own again and uh so yeah it's all these like pointless things like are these people never seen deep blue sea they not know yeah how to make this kind of movie right 
Yeah, so it's just kind of a series of those kind of things happening. And, um, but the thing is, it, it does have like some good character stuff, like between the, the daughter and the dad, like some conflict. It does feel a little bit forced, but I just like Barry Pepper. Like, he's just a good actor. Um, you know, he's just a journeyman actor. He's been around for a while. Pops up here and there doing kind of good stuff. And he's kind of good here. So, uh, and then the main girl, she's like, she does have kind of like the horror movie final girl type of thing. Like, she doesn't have much of a personality. Her whole thing is she's just very, like, driven. She wanted to be the best swimmer. Her dad was her uh, swimming coach when she was a kid, and he was very uh, intense and passionate. Maybe, I don't know, like, uh, was maybe it was a little hard on her. Uh, but now he's not her swimming coach anymore. But then it's just weird because that the whole thing. that he taught her by being so intense helped her survive. Yes, that's the whole idea. Years. That's the whole thing is, like, she's this intense like it's a it shows a flashback to when she was a kid at a swim meet, and then her dad's like psyching her up, and he's like, "What are you?" And he's like, "An apex predator. I'm an apex predator." <laughs> you know, like, oh, it's, it feels a little very forced, of like, you know, she's the apex predator above the apex predator of the alligators. She's gonna, she's gonna win against these monsters. Um, but the thing is, there's some moments where it's kind of cool. Like, the white trash people leave, like, this little boat uh, when they get killed. And so it's, like, it kind of builds to the point where um, they get out of the house and they need to get to this boat because the levees are about to break. And so the whole area is going to flood by, like, another 20 feet. So they need to get into a boat before that happens. And so it's, like, building to this climax um so they have to get to this boat right and then this is another weird thing where like the whole rules of of like trying to be careful but not get have the alligators detect them or like wishy-washy and dumb like if they walk slowly and don't splish splash in the water the alligators won't hear them or know where they are it's like trimmers or like dune or something like if you walk very slow they won't get you. Worms won't get you. Yeah. But then, so they're walking very slow out to this boat because they need it because it's going to flood. And then, so there's a moment where I forget exactly what happens, but the dad is like psyching her up and she has to swim very fast. Great luck. She's the best swimmer. You're an apex. Yeah, exactly. Lady. Exactly. So he's like, you, you can make it there faster than they can. Why? And she's like, because I'm an apex predator. And she dives into the water. And then she barely gets to the boat before them. And she's able to get the dad on the boat right as the levees break. So there is some stuff where all the like pieces come together. And it's kind of cool and kind of satisfying. And there's like enough with the characters and the relationship there. Where it's, you know, it just feels like a solid seven. <laughs> movie. Swimming in sevens. Yeah, swimming in sevens, uh, literally. Um Oh, and one more thing I wanted to say about it is that uh, it was kind of cool. Like I said, it does have, like, 
the sort of final girl vibe of a horror movie, but it sort of avoids a lot of the tropes of like a horror movie. Like there's not a group of teenagers who are all like out partying, having sex and they get killed off one by one. It's very focused. It's very like, it's just a father and daughter story. And then the, like the character stuff is just between them. So that was kind of refreshing in that it wasn't just like a dumb teenager thing where they're getting killed by alligators. So it, it is like refreshing in some ways. And, uh, yeah, I actually haven't seen the other movies that this guy, what well, I've seen one, but I haven't seen the rest. Uh, found out it was Alexandre Aja. I don't know how you pronounce that. Mm-hmm. It's the guy who directed horns, that movie with Daniel Radcliffe. And then he directed uh, The Hills Have Eyes, which I have seen. Um, so, yeah, I mean, The Hills Have Eyes is okay. I haven't seen it in a while. And then I haven't seen Horns. Uh, this guy has made very many movies. And none of them, I don't think, are great. But it is like, yeah, it's like a seven. It's like enough to watch once, you know. So, anyway, yeah. Crawl. I, yeah, I haven't seen... Um... I haven't watched Crawl. I do want to watch it. It's one of those it's one of those sevens where it's like I've heard people say it's surprisingly good or entertaining. Yeah. Um but yeah, his other movies, uh like I haven't seen High Tension. I've heard everybody say that yeah, great no. horror movie. Um The Hills Have Eyes remake from like the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Um I remember liking that, but it's like a really gross, yeah, harsh movie. <laughs> yeah, um, it's and, all right. Yeah, and then Horns I've seen, and I didn't really like that one at all. <laughs> yeah, um, big fan of the book by Joe Hill. Really good book, but I didn't like the mm. movie. Um, right. So Crawl is on Prime. Yep. Okay. Cool. Uh, anybody else have another movie or something to talk about? Because I, I mean, I have a huge list of stuff that I can get into. Yeah, pick one. Uh, all right. I'll I'll go ahead and give some thoughts on Doctor Sleep. Uh, I don't know if you guys you guys didn't watch this yet, right? No. Um. Okay. I watched it on it's on HBO Max. They have they have the original, which is like two and a half hours, and then they have the director's cut, which is three hours. I watched the director's cut. Oh I haven't, haven't seen the original, so I don't know the differences. Um I will I the director's cut is amazing, so I'd say just go ahead and watch that. Um yeah, this is a sequel to The Shining, um, nice. and it's it's based on Stephen King's book, Dr. Sleep, which he wrote a couple of years ago. I don't know, maybe like five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he finally wrote a sequel to The Shining. Um, Stephen King hates Stanley Kubrick's Shining movie. Right, right. <laughs> um, a lot of people say there's huge differences between the movie and the book mm. uh i haven't read the book so i don't know those differences but this get over it yeah <laughs> this yeah this movie kind of 
uh, it kind of honors both of them, I guess, where it, it's definitely like taking from Kubrick's Shining, but then, you know, following the Dr. Sleep novel, I guess, like super um, closely and uh, loyally being very loyal to it. Um, mm-hmm. Anyways, it stars Ewan McGregor, um, Rebecca Ferguson, and I forget who else. There's some other people in there, but uh, recognizable actors. I just don't know their names. Um, anyway, so the story is Ewan McGregor plays uh, Danny, the little boy from The Shining, mm-hmm. and he's grown up um he kind of early on the movie has flashback sequences Mm -hmm. um to danny as a child and i'm trying to remember if it has flashback sequences for other characters but i think it's just danny um but it has yeah it has it it starts um Oh god, this movie is amazing. I love this movie so much. Uh <laughs> it Go starts on. it starts in the eighties, I think, after the shining takes place. Mm-hmm. And uh so Danny and his mom have moved to Florida, I believe. Um anyways, it's just it's established that they're in Florida, but the first like the first scene of the movie I'm pretty sure is Rebecca Ferguson um oh God, I'm gonna have to look it up, but Rebecca Ferguson leads this group of people who um they they're kind of they're kind of like vampires, but they're they don't drink blood or live off of um blood what they live off of is the shine in people right which they call um they call steam because Mm. they have like honed their psychic shining abilities and you know fed off of people for some of them have been alive for like thousands of years um and um the true knot it's called the true knot is what her group of people is and Mm. the movie starts with like this little girl who's at a campsite with her family and it's uh in the woods by a lake and somehow she ends up alone um with rebecca ferguson um by the lake and it, it's just like uh, she ha- she wears this hat. Um, shoot, I have to look up her character's name. Uh, Rose the Hat is her name. Um, Good name. Because all of them, all the people in the True Knot kind of just have nicknames. Yeah. Um, kind of based on, you know, visually like what they wear or something one identifying factor about them basically is it because they're true names uh you know i think it's yeah i think it's just their true names get lost to time 
right basically if that's what you were saying or it like gives other people power over them or something no i don't think it gets into that i think it's just i think it's just like people live and die and join their band over thousands of years so i think they just stick to like the one name or the one identifier and that that becomes and it's kind of like a rebirth thing um where their characters have to they have to die to become immortal essentially Mm -hmm. so it's kind of it's also kind of like a rebirth Mm -hmm. um and they take a new name anyways she plays a character named rose the hat and she like lures this young girl um, alone to her, away from her family. And they're in the woods. Uh, they're by the water. Nobody else is around. And I forget exactly how she does it. If the girl loses something, or or if she just you know entices her to come over. But she has this big hat on. That's like a magician's hat kind of thing. And so she starts talking to the girl and like pretending that she can do magic mm. and it goes it goes like back and forth between uh close ups and like over the shoulder stuff between uh her and the girl but then every so often um the movie makes great use of these wide shots mm. and it just it'll just cut like the girl will hear the little girl will hear a noise and she'll turn and look and it just cuts to the wide shot and you can see in the very background next to a tree there's one person standing and watching mm. and then the scene plays on it goes on and another noise or something happens the girl turns there's three people standing and watching and they're mm. closer and so as it goes on more and more people join and they get closer and closer and mm. then finally it like cuts away as i think she like grabs the little girl's arm and then everybody like moves in on the little girl mm. and and then it cuts to like a you know a missing have you seen me poster on the boardwalk and yeah uh danny is talking to um is it dick halloran is the is the black guy the scat man character from the original shining i think uh, I, I think that's his name um but then it like it cuts to him and uh or they're not like at a boardwalk. I think they're at a park or something, um, with Danny and his mom. And anyways, that character, the Dick Halloran character, was killed in the first Shining movie. But he <laughs> he lives on and communicates with Danny. But the thing is, um Danny has been carrying since they left the shining danny has been carrying all of those ghosts from the shining the overlook hotel with him so um so dick halloran kind of early on when he's a child teaches him how to uh put these ghosts in like lock boxes so they can't hurt him anymore Hmm. and the movie is so good this this movie is so so good with visual storytelling. Yeah. And it's just like it's one of those things that you just you appreciate so much that like it's 
clear and concise what's happening. It's like the visuals are relevant to the characters and what they're going through. And uh, I should say this is directed by Mike Flanagan, um, mm-hmm. who directed the what the Haunting of Hill House. Is that what it was called? Yeah. Um, the Netflix series. I haven't finished that yet. I started it. I haven't finished it. Um, he's He's directed like five or six other horror movies that I haven't seen, but I've heard everybody say, oh, this is really good. Like every single time that he just keeps getting better and better. And I think this is like his biggest budget movie Hmm. that he's gotten. Um, Anyway, so Dick Halloran teaches Danny how to trap these ghosts in these lock boxes. And it's, um, it's just so well done and so interesting um visually because it's like it it'll cut back and forth between you know like danny focusing and just the way that the shots are sequenced and edited and the like momentum of the camera of like either you know moving in or moving away on danny and then it like cuts to um like the Overlook Hotel, the labyrinth, the maze that Jack Nicholson gets caught in and dies in at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just like lock, like huge trunks, lock boxes, just like buried in the snow. And that's where he's trapped all of these ghosts. Mm-hmm. And um, that might, that might be later in the movie. I'm, you know, forgetting <laughs> visual yeah. stuff that repeats but um it's just a really good chunk at the beginning where like it just picks up right after the shining and establishes uh that like danny is still carrying this stuff this the weight of everything that happened with his dad is still present and relevant with him and he's still living with it um but then it also establishes like the new threat um and it's it's cool because you know they're like undying their vampires basically psychic vampires is what they are Mm. um so it's just cool because you get to see them you get to see like danny be a kid and then he grows up but then you see them and they're the same age they were 30 40 years ago right Um, that's just a cool visual thing um anyways yeah so it starts like that and then it like it jumps ahead to present day or the 2010s and um and danny has become he's an adult but he's like a total alcoholic he's Mm. done every drug there is you know he i don't think he has a job i don't he like scams people steals their money he Mm. he's like suppressed all of his shine abilities um and he just like he he's just yeah a total mess at this point and it gets into it later on um because you find out it's like all all of it is because of his dad and mm-hmm. the only two He talks about it later on, but, like, the two big things um, 
that he knows about his dad or or like gets from his dad were his temper like his violent temper because you know his dad broke his arm Mm. um i think before the first movie starts he broke his arm and it just like picks up there because he had been drinking, so his dad quit drinking, and that's the start of The Shining. Uh, okay. um, and then, so he mentions that, and then he talks about drinking, and like that's a huge thing that his dad was an alcoholic, and he's an alcoholic. Hmm. And uh, and then everything that happened with the Overlook Hotel, and it it all reminded. Um, his mom every time she looked at him of her dad or his his dad yeah and um so she was like afraid of him because of his abilities and afraid of him because he reminded him her of his dad um so she was like scared to even you know be his mom basically and Hmm. it kind of turned him away from um like having a loving relationship with his mom and um and that's what led him down this path and there's a there's there's a scene early on where he like gets totally hammered with this girl um this young woman and goes goes home with her and they're like totally wasted and did drugs and stuff and Anyways, the next morning he wakes up and she's puked in bed and she's like not responding. Mm. He just like leaves her. And then as he's walking out, then her son walks out of the baby's room. And then he and he's like stealing her money as the kid comes out. Oh, man. And um, it's a real Walter White move. Yeah. And and like uh he takes he takes the kid and carries him into the room where the mom is and just sets the kid in bed with her but she's still not responsive not moving and he just he's like deciding to leave and then Dick Halloran appears for the first time in 30 years and he's like don't do this don't this isn't you you can't walk away from this and everything and then he chooses to walk away from it mm. um and then i forget exactly what I forget exactly what happens. Um, like the reason he ends up going to this town, if he's just like traveling through or what. But uh, yeah, he ends up going to the small town and uh, meeting meeting this guy who like takes a chance on him and um, gives him a job. It's uh oh, it's the guy from. It's the actor from um, Sunshine, and I think his name is Curtis something. Um, oh, the guy from New Zealand? Yeah. Yeah. I forget his name. but <laughs> Cliff Curtis? Cliff, yeah, it might be Cliff Curtis. Um, but it's, yeah, it's that actor. And he, like, gives him, gives him a chance. He gives him, you know, a... a job and he gives him a place to live and he's like starting out paying his rent for the first month or two while he gets on his feet um and then there's there's another plot line of there's this little girl and 
I forget her name, <laughs> but there's this little girl and she is like developing her shining abilities and um and she can like communicate with people telepathically um she can like read their minds i guess um and then she can like uh she can move stuff and all that stuff so she has like telepathy and um telekinetic abilities and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and she uh she ends up like at a birthday party when she's really young she ends up doing something that like scares her parents and then she decides you know she's gonna hold back on her powers and stuff but um but this uh she she somehow makes contact with um with Danny. I, I forget that part, how she makes contact, but she like writes something. They have like a piece of chalk or something um, in his room where she can like write stuff, even though she lives across the country mm-hmm. or wherever she lives, uh, but she can like write stuff on his wall and they kind of communicate that way. And it starts out, it like starts the conversation and then it skips ahead eight years, I think. So this is all this is all in like the first 30 minutes of the movie first 30 40 minutes um and then it skips ahead and the whole rest of the movie takes place because uh what happens is she is sensing her her abilities the girl's abilities are growing stronger and stronger and her and Danny have like been in communication a tiny bit, just, you know, like friendly messages um, that she writes on his wall and he writes back, but he has no idea who this person is writing to him. Right. He has no idea. It's a, like a 15 year old girl who's communicating this stuff to him. And he's taken on a job being like a orderly person at a, um, at like an old, old old folks home uh care facility and he where dr sleep the name dr sleep comes from is there's this this cat in the facility who is known for like predicting who is going to die next hmm. and it's, it's a yeah it's it's a thing where this this cat he's like a new orderly um i think it's starting out before it jumps ahead eight years like he finds out oh there's this superstition that this cat predicts who's gonna die because it goes into somebody's room and it, like sits on their lap while they're sleeping and that person ends up dead the next morning um anyways this simple solution kill the cat <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh but he's shut the door <laughs> but, <laughs> true but it yeah anyway so this this cat is like it for some reason senses who who is gonna die next and it's just a thing that's like existed in this facility before danny even took the job there it's just a thing that all the old people living there know 
if yeah. the cat visits me, I know I'm next, basically. Um, and like I was saying before, uh, Danny has like totally suppressed his shining abilities. He turned to a life of addiction to suppress it and suppress, you know, every all of the feelings and numb himself to everything um, his whole life. And uh, yeah, the Cliff Curtis finally, you know, gives him a chance and helps him and he like starts to get clean and he starts to recover and he gets his job. And I think it's like his first night working at this facility that he uh, learns about this superstition with the cat. And um, you learn later on that he also, when he was like a teenager or his early 20s, I think, he started, um, he developed this, uh, he developed like the same sense of knowing somebody was going to die. And he would, he says that it came out through like a visualization of him seeing um, just flies on their face. Mm-hmm. And then as it got closer and closer, more and more flies were just on their face. Um, so he said that was another thing of with him and his mom is he finally, you know, saw the flies on her face. And it was a thing of he couldn't look at her and. It's the whole whole mom and son relationship thing. It's just gets into all that, but it establishes, you know, him and his connection with this cat and um, the shining abilities and everything. And um, yeah, so his his name of Doctor Sleep comes because he work like he works at this facility and he has the same sense as the cat where he can tell who's going to die. And he decides to like, as he gets clean and, you know, time jumps ahead and everything, he's earned the name Dr. Sleep because he uses his shine ability to like put people at ease while they pass on essentially. Right. So he earns the name Dr. Sleep because it's the same thing with the cat where people know whenever he visits, then they're passing on and it helps them and everything. Yeah. So he's like found an actual good use for his abilities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, exactly. But what happens is him, I think the girl's name is Abra. I feel like, um, good. Yeah. Abra stone. Um, Anyway, so she, um, oh boy, there's this, there's this other character, uh, Snakebite Andy is part of, also the, a great name, part of the true knot. I'm just, I'm just going to read off. Let me see. Um, there's Barry the Chunk. Well, we should play like a game where like you make ones up, make names up and we try to guess which are real and which aren't. We'll do, that. we'll do that later. Yeah. Okay. okay. We'll do that later. <laughs> All right. Um, but there's there's this other character who's introduced, and it's kind of like it introduces this character named Snakebite Andy. Um, <laughs> I think around the same time it might introduce uh Abra. 
So it's kind of like um, they're young people who have the shine yeah. um, abilities, and Andy becomes a member of the True Knot and turns evil, and then Abra um, is a good person. Mm. And anyways, there's this scene, and it establishes that uh, the snakebite Andy girl is like maybe underage or in her late teens. You're not sure. Um, but anyway, she like lures older men, you know, uh, onto dates or whatever. And then she like hypnotizes them and um, uses, I think she uses a scalpel or something and like, uh, like scars them and it looks like snake bites. And that's why she earns the name snake bite oh. Andy. But anyways, she like hypnotizes them and messes with their fucking brains and uh, like shames them and everything. And then she just walks off after like taking all their money and everything. Hmm. Um, but she gets like seduced by the true knot and joins the true knot. Hmm. Um, anyways, so it's uh, Danny and Abra have had this form of communication for eight years where they, they don't really know much about each other, but they're just communicating being like niceties, you know, like saying hello and how are you and stuff like that. Pen pals. Yeah. They're, yeah. They're pen pals, psychic pen pals, basically. Um, and there's a really, really hard to watch scene with uh, Jacob Tremblay, the actor Jacob Tremblay, the kid okay. um, who appears in like a 10 minute sequence where Abra has, you know, suppressed her shining abilities other than just like communicating with Danny because she knows that she scares her parents um, yeah. because she's different. Um, and there's a scene where she's she's uh, like sleeping and I forget how many scenes there are like this. There's there might not be that many, but um, there's a scene of the true knot. They what they do is they they collect um, the steam out of people. It's basically like everybody in the world has a little bit of shine in them essentially. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is like Danny and Abra and Dick Halloran and people, they learned to control the shine and it grew in them and everything. They became more powerful. So they have more steam. Um, more uh, midichlorians. Yes. So, <laughs> so the true knot is, it's really, it's really, really fascinating. Um, group because you get the sense i forget if they reference certain things like historical things but you get the sense okay these are people who have been alive for thousands of years they have you know hands fingers everywhere in every part of like society like high end low like how far does their reach go yeah um and it's really interesting because it's it's this group of like twenty people, um, all different ages, all different ethnicities, all different genders, everything, um, and 
they uh they just they have they all ride around together in like luxury campers mm. and it's kind of just like a caravan thing that they just go from city to city because they can sense psychically they can sense that somebody has a good has a strong shine in other states yeah Um, so anyways what happens is there's really terrible scene where jacob tremblay is a like 12 year old baseball player it reminded me of the outsider (laughs) because he's this 12 year old baseball player he gets kidnapped by them walking home and then they take him out to the middle of nowhere and they don't show exactly what happens. It's like stuff that happens out of frame. Mm-hmm. But basically they hold him down and like gut this kid alive wow. and make it last as long as possible and make it as painful as possible because uh, I think they say the pain purifies the steam or something like that. So it makes it stronger. And what they do is they have these canisters where they actually store the steam in so they can, you know, live on and like use it for meals basically and ration it um, oh. in case they can't, um, in case they can't like find anybody for a while. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it's this long, hard to watch scene. But what happens is Abra, the girl, she senses it and she wakes up from her dream and she's like seeing it happen. And she, through her abilities, because she's like super powerful, um, she like reaches out and like interferes and yells at Rebecca Ferguson to stop. Mm. And one, it's one of those. Oh god, it's one of those so well shot and well communicated scenes where where you know it's two people in totally different locations, but yeah the just the visual storytelling like uh like the last Jedi scenes of the force. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. It's it's exactly <laughs> that. It's so well done where there's this uh telepathic psychic link between these characters and it feels exactly like they're looking and talking to each other but they're across the country from each other um so anyway she makes contact with rebecca ferguson that way and um and they they kill the kid um and then abra wants to stop them so she makes contact with Danny and like tries to sell him on hey let's you know go fight these people let's go stop them because they're evil and Danny is like first of all I didn't know you were a 15 year old girl (laughs) it's really weird that we're talking and then um, and then he tells her no like you need to hide you need to get away because if they know that you exist and they're going to kill you and your family and everything. Um, So he like, he turns, um, turns her down. But what happens is the girl Abra becomes, um, Abra becomes like 
obsessed with stopping them. So there's this there's this really cool scene and it's so interesting of like establishing the true knot. They do it's just so well done. They establish a true knot as like these, you know, immortal beings basically who live thousands of years and they have these powers. And then they just put them in really interesting like everyday situations, you know, like they're they go to campgrounds and they drive these campers. They seem like the most boring people in the world. Um, but like also their, their costumes and campers are like distinct, you know, and there's like detailed character details and stuff, um, for each of them. It's just, it's really well done, but there's a, there's an awesome sequence for Abra, um, because she made that contact with Rebecca Ferguson's character, um, Rose the Hat then she's like linked to her and she can kind of like track her um, and telepathically just like, you know, teleport and like look in on her and watch her and stuff. Yeah. And, and there's this great scene where she does that when Rose the hat is at a supermarket and she's just like walking around buying stuff. um, And she's at the, she's at the, like the milk, section and um and she's looking at the milk and then abra's watching her um from behind and then rose like looks in the reflection and sees and she can sense it and then um and rose being you know thousands of years old and abra being like a 15 year old kid um rose knows more about the shining and all of the abilities and what you can do with Mm. all that stuff so she does this thing that you you get the sense of you know she's had to deal with this before of like people looking in on her and like you know she's taken over she's killed them in the past she's done this before she's experienced it so she does this thing of she tries to actually pull Abra like into her reality mm. and um, she like reaches for the back of Abra's head but whenever she reaches for it then Abra like lets out a huge psychic burst and like destroys the milk area and like blows Rose all the way down an aisle and she just like flies down the aisle and mm. Rose is Rebecca Ferguson is just like fucking blown away and and stunned and like scared but excited. Yeah. Cause now they can like feast on somebody mm. and just like she's so excited to go kill this kid. Yeah. And um oh it's just so it's so good. And I won't I'm not gonna spoil the ending and I won't get too much more into um the details, but I just wanted to talk about another sequence where she is um, it's still, I think it's still Abra like on her own having to deal with Rose and the true knot. Um, But it's later on when Rose is like obsessed now with finding Abra and it's, it's this amazing, amazing um scene oh never mind she's working with abra's working with danny at this point uh i'm not gonna 
discuss everything that happens here. But as there's this amazing sequence of Rose, um, like she gets into this like meditative uh, stance and she's just like sitting there. Um, and also the music in this movie is amazing. I forget who does it, but the music is amazing. And she goes into this uh, meditative state where she's like tracking Rose basically is what happens. She has to track her down to the house where she lives and then she'll know where she is so they can go get Rose or Abra. Um, Sorry, I keep getting names mixed up. (laughs) But she, so she gets into this uh, stance and, and then it like cuts to the shot of like, I forget if it's the whole planet or like how far away it is, but it's Rose like floating. And then she like comes down through the atmosphere and it's this like top down shot of her back. And she's just like floating through the air, not, not like flying or soaring. She's just like floating, looking down on the world yeah and as and it's like a i think it has like a heartbeat in the background and it's nighttime and it's like there's clouds and she's just like floating down through the clouds and it's i think it's like one long shot maybe um but like the heartbeat gets like louder and faster as she gets closer and closer and like the world below comes more and more into focus as she like gets closer to Abra's house. And then, and then it just keeps going until she goes all the way down onto Abra's street. And then it just, and then the camera like drops down and you see her feet like touch the ground and she's walking outside Abra's house. And it's, it's so amazing. It's so cool. The visuals are incredible. Uh, Rebecca Ferguson's performance is amazing. Um, this is the best Ewan McGregor performance I've ever seen. Anything I've seen. Oh. Him. He's that's high praise. He's really, really good in this. Um, yeah, just uh, like I said, I was I put it on and I was excited to watch it, but this movie blew me away on like every single level. It is so good. It's one of my favorite movies ever <laughs> now. Um, I don't think I wouldn't, I don't really think I would say this is like a horror movie. It feels like a supernatural thriller kind of thing. Yeah. More than like horror, but it's just like every single character, every performance, the, the visuals, the just everything about it is so well executed. And I was just appreciating every second of it while I was watching it. Um, Yeah, Doctor Sleep, the director's cut. It's on HBO Max. It's amazing. Go watch it. Uh, (laughs) Right now, go watch it. Um, Yeah, did you guys have anything else to talk about? Um. I don't think so, but yeah, that sounds awesome. Um, you know, my only experience with it was like the trailer, and the trailer was not very good. Uh, so yeah, it's awesome to hear that it's that it's that great. 
And, you know, those things always just come down to, like, the specific execution, mm-hmm. how things are done, like, the nuance and the attention to detail. And, you know, that this is like Mandy. Like, it could be shitty and cheesy, but it's just elevated by the, you know, the the craft, the level of the craftsmen mm-hmm. who, who make it. Um, I think the only other thing I had, and I'll just do it real quick because we only have, like, ten minutes left. Um, before the recording cuts off, <laughs> was uh, I started the Adventure Zone comic book. Uh, for those who don't know, the McElroy family and brothers, uh, they're this group, these brothers who have multiple podcasts and creative things. They're really funny and interesting, and uh, they started a D&D campaign with their dad. And uh, it kind of took off and blew up as its own separate thing from their other podcasts. And uh, I haven't listened to the podcast, um, but I, I've listened to some of their other one, the main one, Mabim Bam, My Brother, My Brother and Me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, and some of their like, uh, they had a brief TV show that was funny. <laughs> anyway, so they had it adapted, the D&D campaign one. Uh, the Adventure Zone into a comic book, and I started reading that, and it's really great. Uh, it's both uh, very silly, it's very funny, it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun, but then there's enough like cool, actual cool fantasy stuff, especially with like the art. Um, and then, uh, yeah, there's some actual like good plot stuff like really cool ideas um and like yeah the dm the dungeon master the one who leads the the campaign uh griffin the youngest brother yeah yeah he's just you can kind of tell that he like i don't even know if he was into like that much fantasy stuff or storytelling before but yeah he seems to really have like taken off and gotten pretty good at it and like the second volume is this whole like uh kind of heist thriller it's like it's called uh what is it murder on the rockport limited yeah. and it's basically like like taking on heist stuff and then like murder mystery like murder on the orient express yeah easier. yeah and then like um this is, you know different like oceans 11 um references and stuff and uh yeah there's actually some really cool like plotting of the mystery and, like it involves these kind of fun cool uh fantasy magic stuff going on and yeah it's really cool the art is great it yeah. kind of reminds me of like steven universe like the level mm-hmm. of um just beauty in the the lines and the color <laughs> and the the cartooning it's just at a very high level of artistry and there's some yeah some really cool fantasy ideas and visuals and yeah i'm gonna read the third one soon so there's that the adventure zone yeah there's yeah so there's three volumes out now yeah um i think the third one just came out right uh i think so but do you do you know actually like what percentage of the podcast that exists has been um uh adapted into the comic book like if 
one, two, and three, like how much percent is that of the whole Adventure Zone story? Do you know? Oh boy. Um, hold on a second. I'm looking at. I'm just curious because I'm wondering like, if there's gonna be ten volumes. There's gonna be like five. Like, I have no idea. How long is the podcast gonna I don't know. Uh, I think the first campaign ended. I, I'm pretty sure. The podcast has been going since. Uh, 2014 it looks like i haven't i haven't finished the podcast um but it's probably gonna be like 10 parts scrolling i was scrolling through the podcast page it looks like it's separated into like a bunch of different um storylines featuring those characters specifically because those yeah that storyline wraps up and then they start doing other stories um right characters and worlds and stuff um but yeah the the podcast i mean the comic is awesome but the podcast is definitely worth uh listening to just because it's one like one you're gonna get music and sound effects and stuff um at a certain point griffin starts adding that stuff in because he starts like creating it for the podcast but um but the thing, like the thing about the comic, is you're reading, you're reading uh, like stuff that was improvised, you know. <laughs> yeah. It, that it's just like hilarious to listen to, um, people on the spot try to come up with stuff in these in this fantasy world, and like it's not just like a straightforward D and D Dungeons and Dragons fantasy world, Griffin makes up like hilarious weird stuff yeah, yeah and yeah. throws it at them and they just don't know what to do <laughs> yeah, yeah. um so yeah the adventure zone the podcast and then the comics are great too um i guess we'll go ahead and wrap it up unless you guys have anything else to add uh not really i just had one other thing to say about it is um like you know i've heard different times that like the the podcast like after a certain amount of time it like becomes um like more dramatic or more serious Mm -hmm. like beautiful moments or whatever and then there's like cool stuff with like representation like diverse representation in there with like uh you know gender stuff Mm -hmm. like uh non-binary that kind of stuff and then like queer gay characters and mm-hmm. um yeah like there's a lot of cool stuff with that and so i'm wondering if that becomes more part of like the actual story like they flesh out some kind of relationships there and that's what like the fans get super invested in because i've kind of heard that like that's the vibe it's that the yeah fans are super into it and they feel you know very represented and um you know, happy with that aspect of it, which it hasn't, yeah, it just hasn't gotten to that level for me yet where I'm like blown away by the emotions yet. It's more of like the comedy and the yeah, the cool fantasy and like the interacting with the characters and stuff. But hopefully, that's what I was wondering about how long it is. Uh, yeah, I think hopefully like pretty soon it starts getting more into that. But I don't know. I don't I don't know exactly where it starts getting into that. I think I've only listened to maybe two more storylines that go past the comics. Right. 
Um, but I'm pretty sure there's like that's only like halfway through the podcast. Um, yeah. So there's a ton more to get into there. But yeah, that's what every that's what I've heard all all through the years is that yeah. it has like great representation and a lot of diversity and everything and it's yep. very inclusive and all that yeah um all right you guys ready to wrap up yeah okay so if you want to follow us on some social media and see some sweet photoshops <laughs> i spend a stupid amount of time making they get better each time uh, <laughs> yeah, man. you can follow us on instagram at please be excited all together one word you can follow us on Twitter at ExcitedPod, and you can send us some emails at ExcitedPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks for listening. Great talk, you guys. Good hearing from you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, honey, do you have anything to say? You have a sign off? Um, you can't put me on the spot. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, don't John, think John, I have John. no thoughts. Okay. <laughs> All right, that's a good sign off. Thank you. Um, thanks for hanging out and talking, and thanks for everybody who listens. Yeah. Peace out. <laughs> <laughs>